0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's open our Bibles together. This morning we turn to, once again, the book of Revelation in this never-ending sermon series, it seems. But Revelation 21, back in... April, I preached to you on the first part of Revelation 21. This time we're going to look at Revelation 21, 9 to 27. So 9 to the end, but let us read together the entire chapter of Revelation 21. Then I saw, John says, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death then follows our text, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the gate, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. He measured its wall and it was 144 cubits thick by man's measurement which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper. And the city was of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth barrel, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysopras, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold, like transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. a congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, do you ever give much thought to your future? No, I don't mean tomorrow or this coming week or next month or next year. I don't even mean the next 10 or 20 years of your life and what comes down the road. But rather, I am thinking of your eternal, everlasting future. The Bible, you know, says over and over again that you and I have one. In other words, our life is not limited to 50, 70, 80, or perhaps even 90 years. Well, the scripture says, our Lord Jesus Christ emphatically says, that our life in him goes on and on and on. It never ends. It is a forever life. But then the question arises, forever in what way? Will it be forever as the Buddhists say in their idea of nirvana? Will it be forever in the form of some kind of reincarnation as the Hindus allege? Will it be forever living on couches and enjoying countless virgins as Islam proclaims? Will it be forever in the sense of further growth and continual marriage as the Mormons assert? What will forever look like? Well, beloved, also here, the Apostle John gives us some guidance. He started that already, you might say, in verse 1 of this particular chapter of Revelation 21. And there he reminded us that our future is not an immaterial, bodiless, in heaven forever type of sitting-on-clouds kind of existence. But John says it'll take place on a new heaven and a new earth. Imagine that for a moment. An earth that badly needs renewing, an earth that every day again seems to be filled with tragedy of one kind or another, is going to get renovated. And a heaven, which we assume doesn't need to change, is going to get renovated too. John's talking about a new heaven and a new earth together. In short, we can say then that all who believe in Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord, are heading for a new home, a new glorious, eternal, complete Mind-boggling dwelling place. But, of course, new, you ask, in what way? Well, it will be new because God, for one, is going to be there. He's going to be there in person. John also reminded us he's going to be there as the great tear-wiper, as the great death-abolisher, as the great pain-remover, as the great dispatcher of the ungodly. Our God will be there in all of his power and presence. And we will be there too. The question arises, how are we going to be there? Well, Revelation 21, verse 2 says that we will be there as part of the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. In other words, it's not only a case of a renewed creation, There's also a case of a renewed people. We're going to be there as redeemed people. Or, if you will, as beautiful people. If you want to know beautiful in what way, well, John says in verse 2 of Revelation 21, we'll be there prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And that's not all he writes We'll continue now in verse 9 to the end of the chapter I preached to you on the following theme. Come, look at this bride. Is she not great and glorious, that first? Is she not safe and secure, that second? Is she not precious and holy? Well, beloved, once again, the Apostle John is being escorted around by an angel. And he even identifies that angel as one of the seven who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues. This angel, along with the other six angels, has been playing a prominent part since the beginning of chapter 15 of the book of Revelation. You might say he's one of the last groups of angels mentioned. The final angels, you might say, or the wrap-up angels And so now one of them takes John to see something, or better yet, to see someone. Who does he take John to see? Well, it says in verse 9, none other than the bride, the wife of the Lamb. You see, that bride spoken about earlier in verse 2 now receives a much closer and detailed look and examination. You might say, well, who is the bride then? Well, beloved, the bride is the church. The bride is the people of God. The bride is the fellowship of the saints. The bride is us. In chapter 1, verse 2, she is described as both a city, the holy city, and as a bride. And here in the verses 21, verse 9 to the end, we learn more about this bride dash city. So what exactly do we learn? What do we learn about this church? What do we learn about this people? What do we learn about this city or this bride? Well, we learn, first of all, that this city is unlike any other city. Back in Revelation chapter 17, we were introduced to Babylon. And Babylon, you will note, is described as the great prostitute. And Babylon also has a title. It's mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. In short, you can say Babylon represents the anti-people of God. Babylon is everything that God abhors, the immoral, the violent, the demonic, the unclean, the blasphemous. Babylon represents the false church. And now here in chapter 21, we are introduced to another church. You might say to the true church of the Lamb. We're introduced to the real people of God. We're introduced to the bride. And the bride, the bride says, Revelation is beautiful. She's first of all, great, glorious, glorious. Verse 11 reads, notice, it's the holy city bride shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel like jasper, clear as crystal. You may remember, or perhaps you don't, but back in chapter 4, we were introduced to God as the one who had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. There it says our God is like a precious stone. But know that here, later on in chapter 21, the church is likened to a precious stone. The one, in other words, resembles the other. The city bride looks like God. The church looks like the Almighty. Just like He is radiant, so she is radiant. Just like He shines, she shines. He glitters, She glitters. You remember Moses? Remember how he went up to see God and when he came back from Mount Sinai, he shone like a Roman candle. His face was radiant, it says in Exodus 34. He he shone so brightly that he had to put a veil over his face. And later on, the Apostle Paul comments on this in 2 Corinthians 3, and he says that that thanks to Christ, the veil is gone, but the glory, the glory remains. And as a matter of fact there, Paul says that we as the people of God are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. You see, the people of God being transformed. we're becoming more and more brilliant. Finally we will become that bright city on a hill that we were meant to be. The father who created light in the beginning, the son who is the light of the world is lighting up the church and through them he's going to light up the world. Revelation 21, verse 23 says, The city doesn't need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb is its lamp. What a picture. What glory. And what an improvement as well. You know, back in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, we were introduced to the church as well. Seven churches. It has to be said that those seven churches are a mixed bunch. There's the church at Ephesus where love is dying. Sardis, fear is rampant, and Pergamon, compromise rules... In Thyatira, immorality thrives. In Sardis, lifelessness reigns. In Philadelphia, weakness prevails. In Laodicea, Luke, warmness is the order of the day. And short, sure, these churches are nothing to write home about. Nothing to boast about. And I dare say the same goes for all churches today. Whether you live in B.C. or whether you live in Shandong. Or whether you live in Vancouver or whether you live somewhere in Africa. Even we here in Langley, we have our struggles and our issues. We don't all live close to the Lord. Some are committed, some are not so committed. Some of you are involved, some are not so involved. Some of you are happy, some of you are sour. Some of you are generous, some of you are tightwats. Sometimes we have sermons that hit, sometimes we have sermons that miss. We are a mixed and we are a motley crew. And quite simply, we have a long way to go. But the message of the gospel is there is hope. There's hope for us. And indeed, John says, there is great and glorious hope. For John tells us where we are going. Already now in Christ we have a glorious inheritance. The promise is here. The reality, the full reality is still missing. But one day, all of that will change. Because the church of Jesus Christ is on the road to glory. And we may catch a glimpse of that glory already here in this chapter. But then, beloved, if the future of the church is great and glorious, it's also something else. It's safe and secure. If you look at this city, what you see are walls and gates. And together that's meant to represent a certain picture. In the ancient world, cities needed stone walls and iron gates. Tents didn't cut it. Wood didn't either. To keep invaders out, you needed walls that were high and thick and strong. In light of this, it should not surprise us that the New Jerusalem is described as having high, high gates and walls. Verse 12 says it had a great high wall And notice the walls are even by measured by an angel with a measuring rod, thus certifying that they're real, they're accurate, they're safe. This is, in other words, a protected place. But at the same time, notice it's also an accessible place. It has gates. Verse 12 says there are 12 gates. And look, there's something very special about all of these gates, and it is they're always open. Verse 21, 5 says, On no day will its gates ever, ever be shut. In other words, that's something really, really unusual. You can go in and you can go out. You can live without fear. You can travel about freely. You can live. You can breathe. You can enjoy life. Not exactly the kind of thing we experience today, is it? What do we not do today in order to feel secure? In our homes, we have alarm systems, security cameras, sometimes even Rottweilers. At our airports, we have scanners and x-ray machines and guards and sometimes pat-downs. And as for our possessions, we lock them up, we insure them, we monitor them. After all, in this world, you're not safe. Someone can so easily rob you, rip you off, break in. Security companies, insurance companies, surveillance companies, they're all part of a growth industry. Needless to say, today, we live insecure lives in an insecure World. But John says, it's not always going to be like that. He says a new day is coming. A new world is dawning in which the people of God at last may live securely and safe. Fear will be banished. How do we know that? Sounds too good to be true, right? How do we know, too, whether it's meant for us? Well, the answer, beloved, is in the number 12. And there are a lot of 12s you may have noticed in our chapter Twelve gates, twelve angels, twelve tribes, twelve foundations, twelve apostles, twelve thousand stadia, or twelve times a thousand, twelve precious stones, twelve pearls, even a hundred and four cubits, or twelve times twelve. The number twelve abounds everywhere. And why? Why this particular number? Because, beloved, this is the number of the church. Of the people of God. Three is the number for God. Four is the number for the earth. Twelve is the number for the redeemed. You see, this is John's way of telling us and reminding us that all of this that he's describing is ultimately about us and for us. The church, the people of God permeate every part of this new city bride. And so if you wonder who's safe, believers are safe. The church is safe, will be safe. One day, fear, dread, insecurity will all be things of the past. A better day, a better life is coming. But then, beloved, if the city bride will be great and glorious, safe and secure, she'll also be precious and holy. First, notice, she's going to be precious. That's why you have the long list of precious stones in the verses 19 and following. That's why you have those pearls mentioned in verse 21. And that's why you have all that, that gold The great street of the city was of pure gold like transparent glass. You know, what you have here is a lot of Old Testament prophecies fulfilled. In Ezekiel 28, we read about the king of Tyre and what he once was. And, and the prophet says, you were like Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Ruby, topaz, emerald, crystallite, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and barrels. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. You see, this king was one something really special. The same kind of thing, the same kind of language applies to the city of Jerusalem. Isaiah prophesies, O afflicted city, lashed by storms and not comforted, I will build you with stones of turquoise, your foundations with sapphires. The city that has so much anguish will not be forgotten. And then, beloved, there is the breastpiece of the high priest. Every one of these stones mentioned in Revelation 21 can be found back in the breastpiece of the high priest. You know, they set him apart as God's very special servant. They, They indicated just how priceless this high priestly office was in the sight of Almighty God. And now, beloved, the same. The same can be said of God's covenant people. The church has always been the apple of God's eye. He set his love on her from before the creation of the world. In the fullness of time, he sent his son into the world to save, redeem, and restore this people. They mean everything to him. And, beloved, these stones, these precious stones, are a constant reminder of this. Of course, there are times in life when we wonder, don't we, about that? There are days when we wonder, does God still love us? Does he still care for us? Does he still look after us? When sickness enters our bodies, when death visits our homes, when loneliness grips our hearts, then we wonder and we worry. And at such times, we need to read Revelation 21 and be reminded anew just how our God is for us. The foundations of the new Jerusalem are made of precious stones to remind us that we are and ever will be precious to our God and King. No matter what our weak minds tell us, God's love doesn't wax, wane, or waver. It remains constant forever. We are precious in his sight. And something else. We are also holy. Holiness matters you can see that in our text too this city is called the holy city which means the separated special city it's also called the new jerusalem and that sets it apart from the old jerusalem which was so often the center of lawlessness sin and rebellion it's being remade you see and in addition it's been repopulated John says back in verses 6 and 7 that it now belongs to the thirsty, the spiritually thirsty, and to those who have overcome. And at the same time, John also says it's been cleansed, notice of the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars. All the unholy and the ungodly Are gone. All these people are now living in a very different place. It's called the fiery lake of burning sulfur. But then beloved, if this place sports a new name and is filled with a new people, you know, there's also something else that points us to holiness and that's the fact that this city bride is a cube. Take particular note of verse 16. The city was laid out like a square. As long as it was wide, he measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12 stadia or 12,000 stadia in length. As wide and high as it is long. It's a perfect cube. It's about 2,200 kilometers long, wide And high. Or if you want, it stretches all the way from Langley to Winnipeg. Or from Langley in the south to the Arctic in the north. Or from here, it goes up, 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 2200 kilometers. It's massive. It's a huge cube. The question is, is it real? There's some interpreters who take these numbers literally and they say that the new Jerusalem is actually going to have these dimensions. I'm not sure about that. I think it's doubtful. Most, if not all, of the numbers in the book of Revelation, as we have seen, are symbolic of one thing or another, and why should this be any different? But then, if these numbers are symbolic, what are they symbolic of? Think for a moment. Do you remember any other cubes mentioned in the Bible? There is one. You find it mentioned in 1 Kings 6, the verses 19 and 20. And there we are told that the inner sanctuary of the Holy of Holies of the tabernacle was 12 cubits or 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, 20 cubits high. So about 10 meters by 10 meters by 10 meters. In addition, it too was overlaid with gold. So what's John telling us? He's telling us that the new Jerusalem is, in some ways, a greatly enlarged copy of the holy, of holies. This new city bride is the new cube. The people of God are destined to live in a holy place, and they're destined to be a holy people. Today, we still struggle against sin. Every day, we wage the strife against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Every day, we need to pray for grace and forgiveness. Every day, we need the blood of Christ to cleanse us and the spirit of Christ to renew us. In name and position and status, we may be a holy people. But in reality, we still commit so many unholy acts and we think so many unholy things and we speak so many unholy words. There's this tension in our lives. But here again, another promise from God. It's going to come one day to an end. One day, holiness will arrive completely and totally. Totally. One day, every one of our thoughts, our words, and deeds will be sanctified and purified. John writes, nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. One day, this holy place will be filled with... By a holy God with a truly holy, holy people. And what a day that'll be. So, beloved, I say to you again, what a future awaits us. There's a lot about it that you and I don't know. But this we now know for sure. It's going to be great and glorious. It's going to be safe and secure. It's going to be precious. And it's going to be holy. And so I say to you, embrace your future. Prepare for it. Look forward to it. With great joy. And real anticipation. Amen.